Well, good morning, Grace. Oh, is it not me? Check, check. Oh, there we go. Hey, good morning, Grace. How we doing? Good, 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 man. Good to be with you guys this morning. It is good to see this really bizarre thing called the sky. Um, because I don't know if it has rained uh, as much as it did in Charlotte. But uh, let me tell you what, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and um, the, uh, the rain for the past week has kept us cooped in for six days. And um, Daddy was ready to tap out uh, yesterday, and by the grace of God, sun came out. We took our kids to the park, and eight minutes into the park, I'm sitting there, and man, I'm, I'm trying to be like biblical and share the gospel with this, this guy there, and I hear a scream, and I know, that's mine. That's, that's my kid. And, uh, and, and my six-year-old boy, he does have a tendency to be melodramatic, like uh, break, break a fingernail, scream bloody murder. And I was like, great, it's one of those. And I look at him, and homie's screaming bloody murder because he has blood just coming out of his face. And I'm like, great. Um, and he had, he had tripped, and he had smacked his nose right on the, right on the step uh, in the middle of this little play set. And boy, it, uh, that eight seconds of freedom that we got to get out and enjoy yesterday uh, very quickly ended in uh, us going back home, putting an ice pack on my son's face, and, uh, and watching Paw Patrol for the rest of the day. So that was, that was my weekend, and so I am thankful, uh, by God's grace, that the sun continues to be out today, and we can, we can try this again. But, uh, but man, uh, thankful you're here. Thankful that, uh, that you guys likewise wanted to get out of the house um, come into God's house, come together to worship, spend time together. Um, my name is Daniel Ritchie, and um, man, this morning what I want to do uh, with you guys more than anything is just take a few moments and share with y'all just, just my story, uh, the story of God's grace in, in my life. But more than anything this morning, uh, I want to I take a good bit of time to open up God's word um, to just see what it is for, for us as humans Man, to see the deliverance, to see, man, the power and the might of the cross that we just sang about. So, man, what a, what a perfect prelude in, into going into what, uh, man, Lord willing, God is going to mold and shape and impress on us as we open his word this morning. Um, but for, the, for the, the short of it, uh, the short of my story and my testimony, um, it, uh, it all starts with the fact that I'm a little bit different uh, than everybody else. And, um, and, you know, I have a big beard. Like, there's nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, people stare at it all the time. I had a lady last month. I'm standing in the TSA line at the airport, and she goes, can I touch your beard? And I'm like, can I touch your hair? She's like, no. And I'm like, no, weirdo. Um, but so beyond, beyond just a beard, um, man, God in his grace uh, had me to be born without arms and, uh, and, and for no, no medical reason whatsoever. Um, my mom had a healthy pregnancy. My mom had uh, two ultrasounds. And all along the way, she was told, uh, Mrs. Richie, you're, you're going to have a healthy baby boy. And so nobody knew that I wasn't going to have any arms until the moment I was born. And the moment I was born in a room full of doctors and nurses, my mom, my dad, it was just like this hush fell over the room. 
because everybody realized something was wrong. And I wasn't, I wasn't moving, I wasn't making any noise, I wasn't breathing. And the doctor, as, as he holds me in his arms, he, he, he just sort of pauses for a second. He doesn't say anything, and he just sort of, he turns toward my dad, and he, and he like dips me towards him. And he asks my dad, do you want us to let him go? And the implication almost being is, is, is this kid's life, is this armless life, this life full of suffering really going to be a life that, that we should even bother with? And it was, man, it was in this moment where it was like my, my parents and their biblical worldview and, and, the, and the world's view of life and of pain and of value, man, they, they smacked up against each other. And in that moment, my dad's like, no, you do, you do whatever it takes to, to revive my son. And so the, the doctors and the nurses, they all rush out. And, and in all of this process, my mom doesn't get to see me. My mom doesn't get to hold me. She has no idea what just happened. And everybody left the room other than one nurse. And so my dad, the, the job falls on him to, to grab my mom's hand and to just tell her everything that he had just seen. That, that, that their baby boy doesn't have arms that at this point their baby boy does not have life. And he just grabbed her hand and, and he prayed and all he could croak out, I, I, you know, I sit here as a dad and, and think, I'd be terrified. I'd be absolutely terrified in that moment. And the only thing that my dad could croak out was, God, if you let our little boy live, we'll give him over to you. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, God, we're all in. And, and Praise God, I mean, y'all know how the story goes from here because I'm standing here. Um, the, the, uh, the doctors, they're able to revive me. They bring me back in and set me down in, in my mom's arms and then this, this crazy thing starts to happen. Is over the next few hours, as my parents are just enjoying life with me, enjoying uh, the life with the baby boy that, that God had saved, all these doctors start to pop in our room. Because, I mean, man, how many other times as, as a doctor, as a nurse, do you get to see an armless baby boy? You know, and so pediatricians were coming into our room that weren't even my pediatrician. Surgeons, orthopedic specialists, a hand specialist comes in our room, and my dad's like, hey, buddy, you're barking up the wrong tree, man. Like he, <laughs> he, does, he doesn't have any of those. He's like, my bad. <laughs> you know, he leaves. You know, the, these doctors parade through, through our room, and what starts to happen is every single one of them, they start to tell my parents all the things that I'm not going to do. Your, your, your son is probably never going to write. Your son's probably never going to graduate high school. Your son is, is never going to be fully independent. Your son's probably going to live with you for the rest of his life. Like It's like all of these prophecies of, of doom at least from the world's perspective. But my parents in that moment, man, they're, they're, they're thinking back to that prayer that they had just prayed a few hours before that God let our boy live. So we're gonna continue to trust him in, in the midst of this. And, and that's what they did. And, and I thank God for that. But, but that moment, that, that, that time there in the hospital, that's, that's the picture of my life. That's the picture of the inner war of me of feeling like I'm not good enough I'm not good enough 
compared to the rest of the world because I don't look like the rest of the world. And I don't act like the rest of the world. Because when everybody else can, can, you know, grab a pen and, and, and just very simply write out their name, I have, to, I have to sit down and I have to grab a pen in between my toes and, and scribble out, scribble out my, my terrible foot writing. Or where everybody else, when, when their two-year-old daughter wants them to pick them up, they just scoop them up with one arm. When, when this armless daddy has to, has to carry my two-year-old daughter around, I have to drop down to one knee and she jumps on my back like a little koala bear and, uh, and I carry my daughter around like that. And so it's a different way of life. But man, I, th- I thank God that, that when I look back on the past 34 years of my life, I don't feel like that God has ever like cut me out of his plan or that he's left me without anything physically because y'all, my, my physical body is not my struggle at all. You know, everything, everything that you do with your hands, I do with my feet. That's, that's the best way to explain it, you know? Um, this morning, got up super early and, uh, and drove here from Charlotte, uh, one foot on the steering wheel, other foot for the pedals. Um, you know, I wish I had one more foot so I could drink coffee while I drove, you know, that, <laughs> that would have been nice. Um, you know, I, I, uh, with my two-year-old daughter, I mean, we're still in the potty training phase right now, and so she's still in diapers, and so when, when my little girl has an accident, there, there's no armless card to pull with my wife of, of 12 years. You know, she, she knows what I can do. And so I get, I get to change in diapers, you know. Um, I, uh, my, my wife was out with the girls the other night, and so it was up to me to make dinner. So what I make? I'm a typical man. I can't cook worth anything. Uh, so we did blue box mac and cheese. And let me tell you what, that was, that was the most remarkable blue box mac and cheese my kids have ever had. Um, my, my life... My life looks a lot like other 34-year-old married daddy's lives look like. The only difference is my, my sleeves flap in the wind and everybody else's don't. But in that, that, that caused early on in my life so much internal collateral damage. God, why am I so different? God, why, why can't I fit in? God, why do people judge me for something that I can't change, for something I, I had no calling? Because, like, y'all, no matter where I go, people very quickly know that I, that I stick out. You know, one of, one of the, uh, the, the most famous places that, uh, that I get people's attention is the gas station. Uh, you know, pull up in my car, um, get out, pretty normal at this point, um, you know, and... Uh, and then things get weird because I have to stand on one leg like a flamingo, put the debit card up in that little uh, debit card slot, get that rolling, uh, and again, doing, doing my best flamingo pose, I grab that little nozzle and I stick it in the side of my car, and here comes the problem, um, as if that wasn't normal. Um, you know, I, uh, I can't, my toes are not long enough to depress that handle and get that little kickstand thing going, you know, so your gas can get pumping. So what I have to do for about four seconds is I have to lay down in, in the middle of the gas station, and so I can use both feet to, to depress the handle and get that kickstand going. And it never fails. Every single time I lay down to do that, everybody's like, he's dead. Like, <laughs> he, 
He finally bled out from that shark attack that took his arms. And he's, he's not going to make it. Somebody bless this boy. And I have had so many people, like, they'll pop around the back of my car. Bro, are you okay? I'm great. You're fine. It's a beautiful day. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, it's, and it's great because, you know, I get in conversations with people I never would have otherwise met. But, it, man, it is, that is the picture of just what everyday life is, is it captures people's attention, gets people to stare, gets people to laugh, gets people to, to say rude comments. And, man, growing up, I didn't, I wasn't ready for that. I, w- I wasn't ready for people to look at me and call me a freak or call me gross because I'm, I'm in McDonald's eating a hamburger with my toes. And I very quickly just became ashamed of who I was, ashamed of what I looked like. And that, that shame drove me, man, it drove me inwards. That shame, man, it, 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 it just made me push away from other people. I didn't want to go out in public anymore. I didn't want to deal with people. God, I just, I just feel broken. And that's what it felt like for an incredibly long time. Just unlovable, broken, damaged goods. And then I will never forget being a 15-year-old kid and having this student pastor who just poured into me. Because at this time, I'm still not a believer at the age of 15. This student pastor's pouring into me and showing me that God loves me, even with my disability. But what he started to point out even more was God loves you in spite of your disability, but you know what, Daniel? God loves you in spite of your sin. And to paint this picture, like Romans chapter 5 talks about, that even when we still hated him, Christ died. Even when we were enemies of the cross, Christ still goes in view of all of our sin and in all of our guilt and in all of our shame. He dies to be the perfect sacrifice to all who trust in him. That we might have life and that we might have purpose and that we might have hope. I was sitting there as this teenage boy and to realize my greatest issue in my life is not two empty sleeves. My greatest issue in my life is a heart chock full of sin. And a holy God that I cannot approach on on my own accord and in my own actions, but by his righteousness and by his grace of what Christ did on the cross. Man, can I taste life and life abundant? Can I taste hope? Can I taste purpose? Can, Can I finally get to a place where all of my shame is wiped away? I'll see myself through my own eyes I don't see myself through other eye, others' eyes. I see myself through my Father's eyes. My perspective is completely clothed in the righteousness of his Son. And my identity and my life is now hidden with him. Man, for me to see that, for me to know that I don't have to be ashamed of the guy who God has made, and I don't have to be ashamed of a horrific past that I have in walking in my sin, I'm not, I'm not defined by those things. I am refined by them. But the definition of who I am as a believer now is, is simply rooted in Jesus. And this morning, what I want to challenge you with is where is your identity? 
Where is your hope? What, what defines you? What makes you, you? And how many of us do we look at who we are and we're ashamed? We look at a past full of mistakes. We, we look at, at, at a person that maybe has no talents, no gifts, no ability. God doesn't want anything to do with me because what am I gonna do in his kingdom? And we're ashamed of who we are. And the hope of the gospel is that we don't have to be that way. We don't have to look at our past and our brokenness and our insecurity and allow that to define us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're gonna be. We're gonna look at verses uh, just one and two. So real, real simple. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. And if you guys are familiar with the book of Hebrews at all, man, this is, a, um, this, this is coming right on the heels of what many people call the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And what you, what you see in chapter 11 is just this picture of men and of women that God has used in, in remarkable ways. And so the, the author of Hebrews here, he, he pivots. He pivots off of the lives and the accounts of these people that he's just laid out that God has used simply because of their faith and their trust and their resting in him. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God, it's just my hope in the next few minutes that, Father, as we, just as the author of Hebrews calls us to, God, as we fix our eyes on you, may we lay aside everything that is holding us back from you. Lay aside our sin, lay aside our shame, our insecurity, our idols. God, may we lay those to the side and fix our eyes and our hearts and our lives on you. Father, in this time, God, may you just convict us. May you break hard hearts. May we see how remarkably beautiful you truly are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I, I think the, the, the reality of, of what the author of Hebrews is starting to point out here is sin and shame and the weight of life is something that is not terribly uncommon to any of us in this room. In fact, it's natural to every single one of us. Just like Pastor Jerry was saying before, before uh, I came up here. Man, all of us, our old nature, we want what we want. We want what feels good to us, what brings us the most pleasure, what gives us the greatest feeling of power and authority. We are people who, who at times we, we just walk in our sin and walk in our flesh. And that comes incredibly easy to us. But with that, with that comes all sorts of baggage and regret, shame, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of just being dirty. 
And I think it is so incredibly important that, that it, again, if you look back in verse one, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, who are those witnesses? Look back in chapter 11. Those witnesses are Noah, the faithful guy that built an ark, also the really idiotic guy that got drunk and did some very dumb things. He talks about Moses, the guy who faithfully led the, the, the Israel, Israel out of Egypt and into freedom. But he's also the guy that before he met God in that burning bush, he was a murderer. He was more than likely a, a worshiper of all sorts of, of Egyptian gods and idols. You look at, you look back at, at, at Abraham. Here's a guy that God promised uh, an, an inheritance and a genealogy that out, would outnumber the stars. And Abraham couldn't wait around from God, so he, 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 he ignored his wife, Sarah, and chased after Hagar. You look, at, you look at Isaac, a guy who didn't believe God could protect him, so he lied about his wife before a foreign king, so the king wouldn't kill him and take his wife as his own. You look at Rahab, who just by definition of what she did, was a woman that had walked in sin for years, but this was still a woman that, that hid the spies, that God counted as faithful and after his own heart. You look at all of these people that God lays out as those we should be encouraged by and we should see their faith and see their hope, but we should also know that they're all people that have skeletons in their closet. They're all people that have walked in wickedness and sin and God has forgiven them. And so don't think for a second as you sit in this room this morning that you're damaged goods and that God doesn't want a thing to do with you because you know what? The biblical reality and the hope of the gospel is God takes broken things and he redeems them. God takes broken people like you and like me, like Moses and like Noah and he uses them for his glory to those who trust in him. So don't think for a second just because your testimony and your life comes with baggage that God wants nothing to do with you. Because in all honesty, you're exactly the person that he wants. Man, because in our weakness, God's strength and God's glory and God's purpose shines the brightest. So if you sit in here this morning and you think God wants nothing to do with you, church, the the, the opposite is utterly true. That God sought you out when you hated him. God sent his son to the cross to buy you back, to redeem you, and then to send you out into this world to make an internal and an everlasting impact. That's how much your God loves you, despite your sin, despite your shame, despite your insecurity. Don't allow yourself to be defined by that, but rather, man, set it off. Like it starts to say in verse one, going into verse two, we lay aside every single thing that easily entangles us. Our sin, our shame, the weight of this world, the weight of this culture, and we chase after Christ. So this morning as we sit in here with people that, that all have skeletons in our closet, where do we go, what do we do? Where do we get to a place where we're not defined by our shame? And the first thing is this, and it says it in verse two, we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
for us to live a life not ashamed of who we are, not ashamed of what God has done, is, is to trust in and to rest in Jesus as Lord. He's not the author of and the perfecter of your faith unless you are trusting in him as your Lord and as your Savior. And church, hear me out, there's, you know, I, 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 get, I get an opportunity to get in, into to churches all through the Bible Belt all the time. And the thing here in the Bible Belt, the thing is a guy who's grown up in North Carolina, there's so many of us in the church, we want Jesus as Savior, but we do not want him as Lord. We want our ticket out of hell, but we just don't want Jesus to tell us what to do. And that's not how the gospel works. Either you take Jesus as Lord or you don't take him at all. And our only hope, our, our only resistance from the accusations of the enemy is to have an advocate. And the perfect advocate that we see in 1 John is Jesus himself, who pleads his blood, who pleads his righteousness on the lives of those who trust in him. And when the enemy sits there, and when he accuses you before the Father, when he says, do you know what she did last night? Do you know what, what an addiction to, to lust and pornography this guy has? Do you know how much investment this dad actually places in his kids? But then he's going to go in, into kids, kids' Sunday school on Sunday morning and teach those kids. There are plenty of accusations that the enemy is going to throw at you that you're not good enough that God doesn't love you. There are plenty of whispers that the enemy is going to offer up. Did God really say? Did God really say he loves you? Does God really want something to do with, with, with a damaged bag of goods like you? And for those who trust in Christ, I love what Jesus himself says in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, and he will not come under judgment, but he is passed from death to life. Only hope in this world, our, our only remedy for sin and for shame is to trust in and rest in Christ as Lord. And as he clothes us with his righteousness, no longer does he see all of our missteps and our insecurities, the father sees the righteousness of his son. The father sees an adopted son, an adopted daughter that he won't turn away, that he loves, that he pursues, that he shapes, that he molds, that he sends out to display him in all the world. Our hope is to rest in Christ. But then the call for us as, as believers, the call for us who are trusting in and resting in Jesus and the author and the perfecter of our faith is to lay aside every single thing that ensnares us, that entangles us, and that drags us away from him. And so the question comes, what do you love more than Jesus? What do you love? What do you adore? What do you seek out more than you seek out Christ? Is it your job? Do you love your job more than you love him? Do you love the zeros in your bank account more than you love him? Your house, your boat, your truck? The words of others? 
The call that the author of Hebrews gives us right here is to lay all that to the side. To not take this mentality where, yeah, sure, I'll take Jesus. I'll take Jesus and his glory and his goodness, but also, I'll also take Jesus and my money. Jesus and my comfort. Jesus and, y'all, Jesus and is not the gospel. He has called us to lay aside everything, to give up everything that we may pursue him and trust in him and rest in him as our everything. And that might mean for some of us to own up to some of our sin, to own up to some of our hurt, to own up in those times when we don't know what to do, because how many times do we come into this church and you come through those back doors and you got, you got all those greeters, man, from the parking lot to the lobby to the doors in here, and how many people ask you, hey, brother, good to see you, how you doing? And how many of us, we're sitting here on the inside, our marriage is in flames, work is awful, we don't know what to do with our kids, we're in financial crisis. We've been given a medical diagnosis and we walk through those doors and we go, I'm fine. I'm good. Every, everything's fine. I'm fine. Church, like God has called us to lay our burdens at the feet of our brothers and sisters in Christ to confess our sins one to another. And I can't tell you how many times as a student pastor I was a student pastor for 12 years before I started traveling and speaking. And I can't tell you how many students would look me in the eye and say they don't know how to publicly confess sin because they've never seen it modeled. They've never seen confession play out. And I can't tell you how many of those kids, their, their dads were deacons. Their, their parents taught in, in our church. They were in leadership. Church, like the, the call for us to confess to lay our burdens and lay our hurts at the feet of others and at the feet of God. It's not a suggestion. And if you can't think of the last time you confessed your sin to a brother in Christ, you're walking in disobedience. You're walking in your pride. And what you're allowing your sin and your insecurity to do is to easily ensnare and entangle and to drag you down. Man, do not allow that to happen. I love what Paul says. Romans chapter eight, Verse 13, because if you live according to the flesh, you are gonna die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Church, do you take that sort of radical approach to sin? And do we see our sin and our insecurity and our shame as that which pulls us away from the one that we love? Or do we accommodate our sin and allow it to sit there and to creep, to devour to intimidate. Man, do everything you can to seek to put it off, to put it to death. Don't accommodate sin. Do everything you can to kill it. And the last thing that, that, that the author of Hebrews calls us to, and this is, this is my last challenge to all of us as a church this morning, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. To make Jesus your everything. And how many of us, we want to keep one eye on the world and one eye on God? And, and, and that's not what, what God wants. God wants all of us. The, the, plea, the plea in Revelation is either be hot or cold. Don't be in the middle. 
Because that makes, that makes me want to vomit you out of my mouth. That's what God says. And so if we are going to look to Jesus, we look to him with all that we are. We run that race with endurance that God has set before us. We flee that old man. We flee that old way of life. We flee that old sin. We flee that shame. And we run to Christ. And setting our heart and setting our lives on him, knowing what he has done, knowing the adoption that he's given. Later on in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, Paul goes on to say that you, as a believer, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and of children also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer so that we may be glorified with him. Church, may you see Christ as your everything. He's your hope. He's your salvation. He's your strength. He's your love. He's your sufficiency. He's your purpose in your life. And only then, only then do we get to a place where not only Jesus is just sort of my side dish, but when I get to the place where Jesus is my everything, Jesus is my foundation, Jesus is my cornerstone, that we can get to that step where we're not defined by who we are, but we're defined by whose we are. And that's the hope of the gospel. You're not as good as your job or as your net worth or as your baggage, you're as good as Jesus declares, and he declares there in Romans chapter eight that you are, you are an adopted son, and you are a co-heir with me because of what I have done. And so church, in view of that gospel, that is what we build our lives on, and then that is what we in turn, we go, and as we run this race, we carry this message of shame, busting reconciliation, and hope of the gospel into the world wherever we go. And may we look at the fact that God has placed you in your family and in your workplace and in your community to proclaim this gospel. In a world full of shame, in a world where people feel dirty and broken and helpless and hurt, you have their only hope. This is the message of Jesus Christ. And that message is not Pastor Jerry's job alone to declare. Because if you see, if you see Jesus' last words to his disciples, it is to go and make disciples. And in that passage, there's not an asterisk that just says elders or pastors or Sunday school teachers go and make disciples. It is, if you follow me, you go. If you follow me, you carry about the death of Christ in your life, that the life of Christ may be manifested in you. And so churches, you sit here this morning, who do you see Jesus as? Is your life and your heart and your hope completely fixed on him? Are you sitting in here this morning and, and, and maybe you, you have never trusted in Jesus as Lord and you are allowing your life to be defined by your shame and by your actions and by the latest thing to happen to you? And I tell you this morning, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to be defined by the things that you do. For those of us in Christ, we are defined by a good and gracious Savior who loves us and who seeks us out. And if you sit in here this morning, you say, that's me. I don't want my life to be defined by my sin. I want my life to be defined by my Savior.
When we pray and sing here in a moment, I want you to come grab one of the pastors. Come grab me. Love to talk with you and pray with you. Maybe you're sitting here as a believer, as a longtime believer, and you haven't kept your eyes fixed on Jesus. You've, you've made your life about a Jesus and sort of philosophy. Maybe this morning this is your opportunity to truly go all in, to give him every corner of your life, your heart, and to say, God, with everything that I am, I wanna make you known. I'm gonna stop making excuses and I'm gonna start declaring your hope and your goodness. That's you this morning after we pray and as we sing. Man, come before the Father and just lay your heart bare. Man, I love the picture of the altar. It is where things come to die. It's where the altar's for. And may this morning, may some of us lay just who we are in our pride and our selfishness. May we lay it down to die here to walk out of those doors fully resting and trusting in Jesus is our everything. Let's pray. God, thank you so much just for your hope and for your gospel. Father, may we be defined by that glory and by that grace. God, to look to you and not to others, to look to you and not our jobs, to look to you and not our stuff to define us. God, this morning, may we wholeheartedly trust in who you are and what you've done to declare, God, that you are our Lord, you are our everything. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.